0: and theology with Brent and Colin Welcome back to Coffee and Theology with Brent and Colin and let's start off with uh, this delicious cup of coffee I'm holding in my hand here what is this? this is a Panama
1: Lareda estate comes from uh from panama and uh so it's a central american it's a lighter roast it's got a couple of different uh a little bit of a fruity note to it but it also still like like most central americans has a good uh chocolate and nut uh flavor to it and um it's really mild acidity um you know dance it doesn't it's not too heavy on the tongue or palate um kind yeah. of just is it makes itself known and it lets you let you go on with your day
0: you know what like, you know this is uh, this coffee is like uh like a good friend uh showing up at a party mm-hmm. you know they're there they're not too loud you know they're not destroying things no. you know when they leave you miss them but uh but you know they, it's not the uh, it's not uh, too outrageous and yeah. uh, they're just it's it's nice and comforting and it's super delicious so another sip here mm. man you guys are missing out there's good coffee <laughs> Uh, A coffee provided by Urban Pioneer Roasting, the finest coffee in all of Long Beach. Subjectively. Uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) True. (laughs) Uh, As Colin is the roaster of the coffee, which we are drinking, and it's fantastic. So check out his website for more, and order yourself some coffee, and be amazed. Mm. On to theology.
1: On to theology.
0: All right, well, we're still talking about Mark. Today we're going to talk about code switching.
1: Say what? <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: so, contrary to popular belief, code switching is not the name of a Nicolas Cage movie. Although it could be. <laughs> it, it sh- and, and it, it should, should be. be. <laughs> uh, it totally should be. Uh, I think it should be maybe a blend of like uh, The Rock and National Treasure. Absolutely. And, and you know, they switched the code. You know? <laughs> you know and somewhere the Nazis come in. And the Nazis are it's there. The whole thing. Yeah. It's, it's, best friend's a gorilla.
1: <laughs> yeah, the,
0: us- the usual, <laughs> the right? The usual in that case. We have the screenplay half written if anybody wants to contact us. It's, it's, <laughs> but no, no, that's not the code switching we're talking about. The code switching we're talking about is when an author or a speaker switches between uh, more than one language in the middle of a conversation. Uh, Mark does this a few times. Um, he, he's writing his uh, gospel, most likely in Greek. Uh, and on occasion, he uses Aramaic words. Uh, Again, incidentally, he also uses Latin words here and there, but we're going to talk about the Aramaic words uh, in this conversation. And he switches from the Greek that he's writing in to the Aramaic and back again uh, in a couple of key places, and we thought that'd be an interesting point of discussion for us uh, for a couple reasons. One is Aramaic was uh, the language that Jesus probably would have primarily spoken in. In first century uh, Israel, in the streets of Galilee, in the streets of Jerusalem, uh, the language that would have been most commonly spoken among the Jews would have been Aramaic. There would have also have been Hebrew, which is closely related to Aramaic, and Hebrew also would have been spoken, but it was a little more uh, formal language and maybe a little more liturgical in its use. Uh, so, probably the day to day discussions uh, that Jesus was having uh, would have all have been in Aramaic. And so, I think it's significant for us to pause a minute and say, you know, there's a few occasions where Mark uh, feels the need to use the exact words in the exact language of Jesus to convey something in in his scripture. And since Jesus technically would have probably spoken in Aramaic almost the entire time, it's interesting that Mark feels there's only a few passages, a few passages, 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 (laughs) (laughs) passages, the code switching right there is going on. There's only a few passages where uh, Mark feels the need to actually use uh, Jesus' original words, and I think one of the perspectives I have on why Mark does this is I, I, I my analogy for Mark is less of a theologian and more like a photographer, and I think uh, when you are a photographer, you know, and you're trying to take a a, a beautiful picture, you. Uh, put some things in the frame and some things out of frame and you put some things in focus and some things out of focus and you and I can pass by a staircase every day and not pay much attention to it. But a photographer can take a picture of that staircase that makes you stop and look at it differently and see it as a piece of art. And I think what Mark is doing uh, in a few cases of his code switching, and I think in general, what he's doing with his gospel is he's putting a few things in in focus for us Um, and I think he's framing up the picture of Jesus and I think he's leaving a lot of things out of frame and he's putting a very few select things in frame and in uh, uh, select passages I think he's really focusing uh, the lens of his uh, storytelling on a couple of pieces and that's why I think something uh, like where Mark is using Aramaic um, and where he's doing this code switching is important for us because I think those are moments where you say the artist chose a different color. The artist chose a specific lens. The artist chose a specific focus for this passage. Why is that? And what should we get out of that? So that's, that's one of the reasons I think it's important to take a look at it. So why, why is there code switching? What happens in code switching? There's lots of reasons for code switching.
1: Yeah. Code switching kind of uh, the first couple times that I was hearing about it. And when I started to look into it, it kind of sounded like a thing that was like designated to this specific topic was was like, New Testament usage in Mark specifically of Aramaic from Greek, and um, but then when you start to look into it a little, a little bit little closer, it's actually a, a contemporary thought. Code switching is um, is something that is is spe- specifically for bilingual usage in language. So, and it gave five reasons for code switching. All five of them, I, I could easily see a um, an example out of day to day life that that this would be used. The first one is that people um, unintentionally slip into their native language. Uh, or languages that they are most comfortable with. This is um, this is commonly called emo- the emotional language, and it's kind of like when you can't express yourself anymore in the language
0: that is not native to you, and so you slip back into your your comfortable language. I think anybody that has bilingual parents or uh, bilingual friends uh, who you know either English isn't their their native tongue or they're they're well versed in another will f- you know hear these things like when people get really mad, they're fired mm-hmm. up, they'll slip into their native language, It's almost like that's the go-to for the emotional yeah. moments like that, right? This is the, the, That's what they process
1: the fastest. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two is that they act um, or talk more like those that, that are around them. So it's kind of like to fit in. Uh, that happens a lot. I mean, you see that all over the place. I, my brother works at a car lot and, and there's a car wash right next to him. And so he'll... He'll code switch in conversation with the Hispanics that work at the at the car wash, and that's his way of connecting with them, getting on their level, and and, it's, and to fit yeah, in. Yeah, slip
0: in a couple of Spanish words to sort of, you know, use their terminology and, and exactly. to fit in. You know, and in speaking in general, you know, there's a lot of theories on communication, and one is kind of this idea of convergence and divergence. Like convergence is when you do something in your speech patterns to sort of intentionally converge with somebody, to right. overlap with them. And then there's places where you intentionally diverge from people. Like you you try and set yourself apart or you try and pull yourself
1: together. So then um, number three is to get something from people. So that is like to, uh, to get sympathy or favors. And that's pretty self-explanatory. You're using – you use code switching to – appear a certain way and and that is to get people to react sympathetically or whatever uh number four was to hide in plain sight and to be secretive this one is this probably makes the most sense to me because, i mean that's what pig latin pig latin is a is is a largely known secret language and that's that's a form of code switching when people want to tell a secret to somebody else they slip into a you know a made-up language or even their real language um number five is to convey a thought uh, this kind of goes with the emotional, the emotional language idea because it's easier to use a term or phrase in another language than maybe the limited language that you have. Um, if you're limited in a, in one way, then it's easier to go to a language that you know the exact word, and then you can explain that word um, later, much like Mark does.
0: But it it just it fits the place for where you needed. Uh, you know, maybe to build on that last one is there's that that kind of there isn't an exact um, easy translation of a word. So not, e- you know, not easily finding a translation of a word. And you feel that as, a, as the communicator that you know using the original word is more effective. Even if you end up translating it for people, you still sort of want to use that original word just to convey the full weight of its meaning in the context in which it is normally used. And then subsequently, you know, try and find the, the closest match. Um, You know, also, I think code switching is also done, you know, maybe to grab some attention. When you switch languages in the middle of a conversation, the listener or the reader has to pay closer attention because something just changed and it's not the norm. Um, So I think it's also a way to sort of uh, distinguish uh, something that's being said uh, or written in a a conversation to sort of pull the reader in a little bit tighter and and to look a little bit closer. Uh, And I think you had mentioned this, uh, there's kind of that idea of like recreating uh, something uh, exactly, and in, in the instance of Mark, where he's talking about a lot of memories, um, a lot of past events, um, there might be just this, this desire to take an exact uh, replica of that moment, uh, in, in an exact snapshot of that moment in time, to to preserve it uh, precisely. So those are some reasons for code switching, and uh, you know we'll we'll touch on some of those reasons as we go through uh, the passages in Mark. But I do got to ask you, Colin, being a person that can speak multiple languages such as yourself uh, colin knows swedish quite quite well uh and also he's a, he's quite adept at greek now days as well thanks to his schooling but uh, <laughs> when do you find yourself find what which of these kind of methods of code switching do you find yourself doing the most when you're around your swedish friends definitely um
1: hiding in plain sight is a big one when I had proposed to my wife, I told my friend in plain sight about you know asking her to marry me without anybody else around.
0: me. So right in front of your wife, you you talked about marrying her in a language she wouldn't understand. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Tricky. And also the emotional language makes a
1: lot of sense because when I was living in Sweden, there were a lot of times when I would. It, out of frustration slip into English and even if the, the person that I was trying to convey information to couldn't speak English that well it felt good to be able to get my mind across in the language that came naturally because yeah. it just was like it, it hit everything that I needed to say yeah. Yeah. and then I could go back and figure out like how do I okay, now how do I say that in a simplified version but it was kind of like a rough draft mm-hmm. yeah yeah. And that yeah. was kind of nice it was get it like, out. you get it out there it's a rough draft and then you can go back and edit it to like how do I make this make sense in another yeah. language
0: yeah So I don't offend all my Swedish friends to get kicked off the boat.
1: Yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) Colin spent a lot of years on a boat in Sweden, which is a podcast of its own someday. (laughs) So so let's go through Aramaic word usage in uh, Mark. So we'll start in Mark 5. Uh, Jesus is asked to heal uh, Jairus' daughter. He uh, gets there a tad bit late, and he's told that uh, the young girl had died. He took the, the young girl by the hand, and he said... Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Uh, If if anybody listening hasn't figured it out yet, uh, Colin and I are not Aramaic scholars, so we are going to butcher... The Aramaic sayings of all these words. If anybody, especially the next one, yeah, if anybody knows, I'm super ready for it too. Yeah, if anybody knows how to speak Aramaic, feel free to uh, send us the proper translations. We tried to look it up, and and uh, we are more confused than ever, Or keep so. it
1: yourself. Yeah, or keep it yourself. We're gonna,
0: <laughs> we're gonna do uh, just just like all Americans do. We're just gonna go ahead and say it the way we say it, and everybody's gonna have to live with it. Like, yeah, like the word karate. I mean, <laughs> I know it's karate, but I'm going to say karate. That's just how it's going to be, right? So, so we're going to say Talitha Kum, uh, is what, uh is what was said. So uh, personally, I think this is a highly significant moment on multiple levels. And I think Mark Mark's code switching at this moment – was uh, probably very reflective of Peter's telling of this story. And I think this particular Aramaic phrase uh, in, in Peter's mind would have really uh, stuck with him, and for a couple reasons. One is, this is arguably this is the first experience of somebody coming back from the dead for uh, over a thousand years. I think the last one being Elijah raising uh, the widow's uh, son. Uh, and so you have this uh, tremendous event where there is a, a, a dead child on a bed And then she's alive. And I think that is something that just, you know, sticks with them and is a highly significant event. So I think it's a highly significant event for the fact that it's a resurrection. I think it's also amazingly significant to have been in that moment to see with what simplicity and gentleness God Mm -hmm. wakes up the dead. And I think that, you know, um, death can oftentimes be this Amazingly sad and mournful case, and particularly the death of a child. I mean, this is heartbreaking stuff that no one should ever have to experience. And Jesus simply takes her hand and says, "Talitha kum, which is just "get up." And it's such a simple phrase, um, such a uh, gentle way. And and uh, it's the analogy is. As if he was waking her up in the morning, like it's time to get up, and Jesus saying that when everybody says she's dead, and he says she's just asleep, and for him to treat death like sleep—it's not this uh, powerful, mournful, um, endless void of nothing. It's this this temporary sleep where you are gently awakened by God. Uh, so I think that though that that moment is uh, you know, burned in Peter's mind. And then also, I think that moment is highly significant to Peter, though not recorded by Mark. uh, It's recorded by Luke in Acts 9. Uh, Luke tells the story of Peter raising a woman from the dead. And Luke makes the point in the story to say that this woman's name was Dorcas in Greek. Awesome name. Uh, (laughs) Which means gazelle, but gazelle is much prettier than Dorcas. But anyways, uh, but her name in Aramaic is Tabitha. And it's highly likely that when Peter encountered this dead woman and felt that he could raise her from the dead, that he used almost word for word um, the words of Jesus to raise her from the dead. And instead of saying, Talitha cum, he said, Tabitha cum. And I think that's an amazing uh, parallel moment in Peter's life that uh, the first instance being this powerful um, uh, experience with resurrection, and then for him to have the opportunity to replicate that situation mm-hmm. later in his life, um, almost uh, moment for moment, I think has to be such a significant moment for Peter that I, I, I can't fathom that he would ever tell the story without repeating those words exactly. It's also
1: really interesting that this this type of code switching you mentioned it earlier uh, to recreate a scene, and in this in this specific instance, it seems really um, it seems really important that he used. And the actual words that Jesus uh, Jesus spoke to create a, a very vivid recreation of that scene. It almost puts you in that room with with Jesus and Peter and the other person. <laughs> the
0: other guy. <laughs> and the girl's parents. So the there's, girl's there's, parents. there's, there's so it's, it's, five or six of them. There. Yeah, there's
1: five or six people in there. But it's really important that he uses these exact words when Mark's telling the story. Because he's almost putting you in that room with them. You're almost the other person. Yeah. Uh, and it's... And it gives you a very real sense of what was going on at that time and, and what and in that exact moment, those words being being like caught in time.
0: Yeah. So I love just the, the thought that that this is unique to Peter. Uh, when Matthew retells it, when Luke retells it, they don't feel the need to recreate that moment as precisely and yet Peter who's who was there in the room and who experienced it to, to I like that idea of like recreate that moment. Exactly. Uh, Let's move on to Mark 7. Uh, Mark uh, tells the story of the healing of a man who is deaf and uh, mute. This is after um, their encounter in the region of Tyre. Um, A Greek woman had asked Jesus to heal her daughter. Jesus said, the bread on the table isn't given to the dogs. It's given yeah. to the children. A real nice uh, way to say, go away. And the woman persists and says, but even the dogs get the scraps off the master's table. And Jesus says, you know, you're totally right. And your daughter's healed. So right after this moment where this Gentile, this outsider says, um, you know, can I get can I get a little uh, bit of healing? And Jesus says, yes, you can. And in a sense, includes the Gentiles in his ministry. You get this uh, deaf and mute man brought to Jesus and Jesus takes him aside, uh, a little bit out of the way. He uh, touches his ears and he touches his tongue with spit somehow, which is a great image. And and, and then he says, I don't know how to say this. <laughs> e-
1: uh, Epithatha. Epithatha. <laughs>
0: <E-ep-eth-a. laughs> <E-ep-eth-a. laughs> He says an Aramaic word, which means be opened. Apathat. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, he says his Aramaic word, E P H P H A T H A. Good luck. That's a mouthful. So if he didn't if Jesus didn't a spit on his tongue, uh, ready to help him uh, be healed. He would have spit probably when he said this word. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, Jesus says this Aramaic word, which means "be opened," and the man is healed. And so, again, why uh, why record this particular word? So, there's probably something to you know the fact that Jesus had healed this man. Uh, in ways that looked familiar maybe to a first century audience, but he also did it so simply by just uttering the phrase, be opened, uh, and versus a a long magical incantation or a long prayer. So I think the simplicity of it uh, is important as well. There's something uh, Mark tends to do about utilizing uh, healing stories to sort of help contextualize uh, maybe something for the listeners. And so I think in conjunction with... uh, introduction of someone of Gentile descent being uh, incorporated into Jesus's um, healing and now that now that someone's tongue is freed to talk and now that someone's ears are open to hear, this cu- culminates in recognizing Jesus as the Christ and that and that recognition of Jesus as the Christ is is embodied by Peter saying, this is who you are and Jesus saying now that you understand who I am, now you need to understand that I'm going to die.
1: Which would kind of be a, this would kind of act as a notable instance where uh, one of the reasons for code switching would be to like exclamate the, the the occasion. So Mark might be, might be using this, putting this in there, code switching back here. So notice this. Yeah. Notice this is happening because that's a pretty huge, like it's a substantial thing for the gospel or what would just be considered Jesus' ministry. Um Is being uh, expanded to Gentiles. Yeah, that that in and of itself is a huge thing. So code switching could be to
0: highlight that. To highlight, yeah, I think yeah, to make to 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 bring the light, like pay attention to this. Okay, so we're gonna have to we're about at the end of our time for this podcast. So we're gonna have to cover the rest of the uh, code switching instances in Mark in our next podcast. You mean to tell me there's more? <laughs> there is more to be had.
1: <laughs> so I guess we'll just save the, we'll save our takeaways for this time. Uh, we'll, we'll do a takeaway on the next one. and We'll make sure to make it real good and uh,
0: applicable to your life. Of course. Life changing. Applicable to, to our
1: lives as well. We
0: probably will not learn any better pronunciation of Aramaic. Between now and then. I guarantee no. So you're just going to have to live with the the uh, slaughtering of the Aramaic language that we are in the midst of doing. So until the next podcast. This has been Coffee and Theology. With Brent.
1: And Colin.
0: Farewell. That was
1: fun.